welcome to another episode in the series Roo, where we talk about history of medicine. One of the doctors of the St. John's, Dr. Prakash Shetty, in the 70s undertook an interesting project where he went and visited various temples in southern India to look at the expression and the depictions of the body. Through this, he tried to understand what kind of bodies were being represented in these spaces and to see if he can identify from his critical eye as a doctor any possible medical injuries, diseases or any other phenomenon. Today we have with us Ms. Anisha Anandpurkar, an independent researcher and dancer and a dance anthropologist amongst many other things who worked on this interesting project archives that is stored in this museum. Hi Anisha. Hi Anisha. Hi. I'm super happy to be talking to both of you. Glad to have you with us. So Anisha, what do you do? I started off as a Kathak dancer and my bachelor's was in economics and after that I really wanted to work within dance and performance in theatre because those were the courses I really enjoyed while I was doing my economics bachelor's. So I decided to pursue a master's in dance anthropology and ethnochoreology and before I started that master's I actually worked in the History of Medicine Museum but also I did some projects with theatre. So I was a dramaturg, I was a teaching assistant for a playwriting course. And I, of course, was working, especially during COVID, in the econ sector, writing articles and doing some small research and so on and so forth. So I constantly juggle between the arts and the social sector in some senses. How did your association with the SL Bhatia Museum come about? So I had a friend who just told me that they're looking for someone. So I applied for a position which was really just a sort of studentship traineeship. I became a research assistant with them much later. But when I started this project with them, it really happened through me realizing that a position was open. They were looking for someone who understood the social sciences, but also had a background in the arts. They were looking for someone specifically to work with the Prakashati archives. I was there to work with the archives and also to work with their library. They actually have a wonderful collection of books there and they wanted someone to organize it further because they hadn't cataloged it at the time. And I worked in both of these spaces, specifically with Radhika, but also with Manjulika and Mario Sos. It really was just a stroke of luck that someone who I knew, knew of this opening. Could you tell us a little more about the Shetty collection in the archives? Yes. So Prakashati was a mentor and doctor of like many of the doctors there, but specifically associated also with the humanities wing. When I went there to look at the archives, what I saw was just this one specific project that he had done where he had photographed either himself or through another photographer what he considered to be medically relevant sculptures in many South Indian temples. And what I saw in the archives was one box with just the negative. And there was also a box filled with his speeches, his report that he had written based on these photographs and other really small pieces of papers with notes and things like that. So it was quite a small archive if I may call it that, just because it was all centered around one project. And the rest of Prakash Shetty's archives were already being catalogued and had a bunch of stuff on nutrition. I just never really went deep into that. I really focused just on these photographs and this report. And what did these photographic slides have in them? 
Yeah, I think that's the most interesting part is that they had everything. They had photographs of sceneries of entire temples, how much ever fit, but then also really specific ones of smaller sculptures, sculptures showing menstruation, sculptures showing pregnancy, sculptures showing different physical attributes, which may be considered mythological figures or maybe something else we don't know. It was really, really hard to pinpoint. Sometimes it was a body with three limbs. There were a lot of dwarves or ganas or bhutas. There were no categories created by Prakash Tisa himself. So it was really a box filled with these negatives, these slides that were not organized in any specific fashion, except for the fact that all the photographs were kept together. So really how we wanted to work with it was up to us in a sense, because there was not a lot of pre-organization to go with. What his report suggested was that he really looked at the different types of temples. So if we were to follow his logic in writing the report, something to identify was which temples were these sculptures captured from. And which were these temples? Many South Indian temples. So we had the Vijayanagara, the Badami, I think the Hoysala, the late Chalukyan period. And these are also the ones featured in the exhibition. Of course, the exhibition is like such a small part of the archive itself. These were the temples that we were also able to, I think, identify. We spoke eventually with Mr. Shashidhar and he then went through it in such a tedious and dedicated manner. We had many Excel sheets that were created with a way of identifying the photos, so like catalog number and descriptions and what we had seen in the photo and then also what he could identify like whether it's through the architecture or because he saw many of those photos of similar style and then was able to say okay these probably were in this particular temple in this particular region most of them i remember were from the vijayanagara period and we couldn't identify every single temple but we could identify the style of architecture you mentioned some interesting points when you were giving us the overview about the representation of human bodies in sculpture and the medically accurate descriptions or depictions in the sculpture. Could you speak a little more to that and also draw from your own research? Mm -hmm. The most interesting thing is to try and understand what Prakashetti saw as medically relevant, right? Because when we go to a temple, we often overlook certain things which maybe someone with a doctor's training or a background in medicine may not. A very important conversation we needed to have was around naming the exhibition because the exhibition is based on a report that Dr. Shetty wrote, a report on the documentation of sculptures depicting medical conditions in Chalukyan architecture. And we needed to discuss this because of what the kind of sculptures that Dr. Shetty himself had included in the report. And this included sculptures of menstruation, sculptures related to a wrestler's body. And given today's critical lens, one would not necessarily call them medical conditions. So it is this naming that became quite important. Also because we have to acknowledge the normative lens that medicine itself carries. This report was written in 1977. The research was done in the late 1970s. So it's important to know that that is the context in which this research was done and that is the context in which this report was named. But we need to think about our context today and also challenge certain normative cases that medicine also has. 
that's why we ended up naming the exhibition health and medicine as seen in south indian temple sculptures we tried to name it as openly as possible and i think it's super important to acknowledge that this normative gaze really does define what we call a medical condition what we call something that is medically relevant i think it's important to acknowledge that none of these sculptures are done in such a way that unless you're a doctor you would think of health when you think of these sculptures i think it is dr shetty's gaze that like brings into focus these sculptures and i think that's something that's important and what we really took away from the report and try to encapsulate as like health and medicine in the title also most of what dr shetty calls medically relevant sculptures in his report come from the vijayanagara period and interestingly enough dr shetty actually uses the chalukyan period in his title and yeah to come back to your question about medical relevance i think in order to answer your question which is quite a difficult one we need to think about what is medically relevant and how does one understand that to be medically relevant and this is where like the normative gaze really comes in and i think specifically for this exhibition which is based on dr shetty's report we try our best to acknowledge that this idea of medical relevance comes from this particular way of seeing medicine in the 1970s by a physiologist who is dr shetty and we also try and be slightly critical in our naming of it and in the way we describe what dr shetty has been writing about because obviously saying that a wrestler's body is medically relevant which is something that is identified or saying that menstruation is medically relevant these are things that one has to think about and this is perhaps language that we wouldn't use today because it is medically relevant in relation to a normative body when we talk about bodies i think it's a quite an interesting question is quite a complicated question but one that we don't completely engage in debate with in this exhibition but a question that we try and address in the ways we present the information and in the ways we name the exhibition so maybe we could approach this lens as a representation of human body in sculptures yes and again you have kind of an issue because it's like some of them are bhutas so why was the bhuta there then as a curator you're like okay maybe this one needs to be left out right and also the problem of depicting idealized body which might not really corroborate with the lived reality or like medically or anatomically accurate human beings that we see around us yeah i think a more clear way to answer your question might be that there are some bodies that we typically associate with non human we have the deities so for instance ganapati might be seen with like an elephant head and the body of a child or the body of a dwarf or the body of a pot bellied young man that is not included because ganapati is very clearly a god now the question becomes why are the bhutas the ganas included are they bhutas ganas did he know that they were or are they dwarfs are they representing a certain type of body that we see in society and that's something we really had to look into and it's something that we tried to pay as much attention to as possible but it really is something that's difficult to be 100% sure of also as someone who's not got a background in let's say iconography or uh, the anthropology of religion or the anthropology of architecture I'm just curious about the subject matter of the exhibition from these archives. If I understand correctly, some of the pieces or archival material from this collection was displayed in the exhibition, is it not? So, how was it curated like under what umbrella or what theme? 
there was a period when we really tried to focus on the report that Prakash Shetty had written. And when we were focusing on that, we realized that we had to include pretty much everything that he had identified in the report. So he had identified menstruating women, he had identified the depiction of focomelia, the depiction of achondroplasia, he had written about the depiction of childbirth and then depiction of military medicine, which is hunting wounds. So there's spears being removed from the feet or like injuries which are being given attention. And then he also talks about the depiction of wrestlers. He identifies the depiction of a facial deformity, of conjoined twins, of a three-headed, four-upper-limbed, four-lower-limbed conjoined figure. He also says that there's possibly a depiction of scrotal swelling. He talks about how intestinal loops are depicted in sculpture, demonstrating a knowledge of anatomy. He talks about skeletal sculptures. There's one particular one which shows 10 ribs, the thoracic cage and clavicle. And then he also comments that like the muscular outlines are poor. So he has a couple of moments where he comments on the sculpture as well. And then there's also one where he talks about the depiction of the scalp being removed and like the exposure of the skulls and the eye sockets. Now, all of this sounds like super organized when I am trying to tell it to you. The real challenge was that there was a box of photographs and there was one report and one speech. How do you put the pictures together with the report? Because there was no reference to which photograph he's talking about in the report. We just know that this is what he's seen. And now we have a box of unorganized photographs. At first I was like, okay, we're not preserving the clutter, like the chaos of it. Let's try and organize this. So first I organized it by these little stickers that were on the pictures. And then I was like, okay, this makes no sense. I don't see anything. Then I organized it based on the type of figures depicted in the photos. So if it was just a complete temple, they went into one pile. If it was bhutas and ganas, it went into one pile. If it was women who seemed to be pregnant, it went into one pile. That's how we found a way of categorizing these pictures. We completely relied upon the report. And of course, a little bit of like research into what is focomelia, what is a chondroplasia, what is this and that. And what that does also is that you have to look at the photo extremely carefully because the only place where I could see some kind of suggestion of a scrotal swelling was really of a sculpture of someone holding a bird. It wasn't really that obvious. And we also are talking about technology that is super old. There isn't like a great zoom and like there isn't that much clarity in the photos sometimes. These are also things to take into account. The exhibition, as simple as it looks in the end, when I recount the process of even making sense of the archive, it's kind of amazing that we were able to do this. And I think the fact that someone was interested enough to go and say, there seems to be a lot of knowledge in this era about, let's say, skeletal structures, but not how muscles are formed itself is interesting. Unfortunately, there isn't more written on that. But that is work someone else can take forward. Actually, quite insightful, like from that box of photographs which were also not labeled in some cases to a fully curated exhibition piece. It is understandably challenging to have that mass of raw data and convert it into a narrative that everybody can actually consume. And do you think you bring some of the insights from your own research and educational background to understanding of maybe these photographs or even to this process? Especially given the attuned knowledge about human body, its movements and dance forms. 
you know the thing is that it takes someone who's willing to see or just in general is interested in the body to see the relevance of research like this at first i think when we were trying to explain what the research is to people it was really difficult to do that in itself because when a report is quite simple however intensive it may have been however difficult it may have been sometimes people are like okay but there isn't much here and for me it was also a challenge to be like this person had one year to tell this story had this much grant with like all of this equipment which was so expensive in those days so how do we tell this story and how do we talk about this as like really groundbreaking research for our context and i think a little bit of appreciation for the lenses that we can bring in as artists as people who work with our bodies or people who are interested in history is extremely important when communicating with people who may have never thought to look at things in this way because they have a completely different training and i think this wing is just doing that so they are trying to bridge the gap between people in the so called humanities or artistic sectors and people who are in quotes scientists or like biologists or chemists or doctors or whatever and it's incredibly important also for the world today to be like these are not separate things these are equally important ways of studying the world but will always excel and flourish when they are in dialogue with each other also and i think in some senses it takes someone who appreciates or knows how to look at the body to talk about sculptures and things which may to a lot of people seem irrelevant that cannot be the attitude it has to be that okay there's something in here it reveals something let's try and figure out what or let's see how i can communicate it but the complexity that you raise of how we tackle it in the present to understand it you know the multiple layers that we have to peel through i think this is also reflected in the sculptures themselves and the complexity of the past that they are a product of so for example like you said there is a possible medical conditioning in a hunting scene or in a scene where there's somebody playing with a bird so for the sculptor who's making it he's just depicting various aspects of his lived reality what he's observed through life unlike say with deities and uh, other fixed forms where you know the iconography is listed saying that you have to be like this they have to have like this in these more free flowing sculptures the sculptor can express his artistic license he has the freedom to you know make somebody be bulgy make somebody have an extra hand make somebody you know be a little bit more disproportionate to the ideal form that is prescribed so that is where you know as an artist he can express himself so we as historians are trying to you know fit these into boxes should give that scope of freedom and like you said by bringing in multiple perspectives of medical doctors of other artists of people who use their physical body that way getting these multiple perspectives to actually see what kind of perspective could have been presented in the past absolutely and i think what is most interesting and we weren't able to sufficiently highlight at the time is that we never really spoke about the sculptor's point of view in the exhibition so exhibition at the time in our heads also just because it was our way of making sense of the archive was focused on how dr shetty saw the temples but we didn't do a reflexive thing where we were like okay dr shetty saw this let's try and figure out maybe what the sculptors were thinking about while making these temples and to be quite frank i think at the time covid happened and our scope kind of did become smaller because we not only were kind of 
constrained with how we were then going to move on with the exhibition in terms of funds and everything but also at one point we were like okay we can't go into the office let's limit research so at least we have an exhibition which is really the reality of these spaces is that we do work with smaller funds however fulfilling it is it is sometimes a roadblock and also when you're thinking about that you really do also want to be in dialogue with a lot of people who might have expertise in the history of sculpture and who were the sculptors what were they sculpting what were their influences how can we definitely claim that this is what is happening and at the time i didn't have that expertise what i did know was how to work with archives and how to craft this story this was something i did know how to do and this is something we chose to do to the best of our abilities given that also covid happened so the physical exhibition never happened unfortunately and we can go on discussing this cultural context which i think is really important and also the point of gaze that you raise where the sculptor's perspective is a we a scholar's is a we a doctor's perspective to look at the same object and it could stem from object of devotion appreciation to an object of study so there are so many layers to that to peel through would you like to add anything more yeah i think this exhibition was really revealing to me in that when a doctor went and saw hiranyakashyap he saw a skull when a devotee goes just as you said they see a god and when i started my masters because this was before my masters i had to choose a thesis topic and i think this was somewhere in my mind which is that if i look at anything from the lenses that i have because of my backgrounds and because of my identities or like let's say just because of my interests even i can write something that is like adding to a conversation so when i was in hungary i just had the opportunity to be with a lot of musicians and dancers and traditional dance scenes and i came across attempts by some lgbtq plus dancers to try and create a community for folk dancers and in folk dance and that's what became my thesis topic and however simple that sounds now and i think maybe in some context it was such a monumental effort on their part it started off as just like a small gathering and it became activism and i think this is something that i take away really often is something that looks so simple actually might spark ways of studying and ways of thinking and ways of seeing that might open up so many different avenues for so many different people and also result in change in society whether it's in a hospital or in your home or you know in organizations or in society at large however you want to see it and that's something that i really also took away from this project thank you and i think that's a wonderful way to tie up the whole discussion and bring it to a wonderful close thank you so much we're very grateful to have you on with us and hopefully we can have you again on sometime when we talk about different other aspects awesome i would love to thank you so much for having me thank you so much this podcast series is the result of a foundation project implemented by the india foundation for the arts under its archives and museums program in collaboration with the sl bhatia history of medicine museum library and archives with part support from the parijat foundation